Hello, welcome to Deep Into Sleep Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Yishan, a board-certified sleep psychologist. You may hear from a lot of sleep experts that you should go out in the morning to get more sunlight. Do you know, actually, this kind of sunlight is especially important for women and for women who are pregnant? So today, I invite back Dr. Stasha Gomnik to share with us the vitamin D deficiency, how that may impact our pregnancy, fertility, and the baby's health. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. And very happy today to have Dr. Gomnik with us again. Welcome. Thank you, Yishan, for, for inviting me to come and speak again. I, I'm thrilled that you uh, want to talk about this subject. I, I'm very interested in sleep. Great. So at the beginning, how about Dr. Gomnik, you introduce yourself to our audience. Okay, I'm a, I'm a neurologist. I'm uh, very passionate about sleep. I'm retired from neurology, and I am now actually working full-time, even though it's at home, um, virtually as a sleep coach. Oh, great. I know you have done some great work in the line of vitamin deficiency. And today we want to cover something about sexual health and female health and vitamin deficiency. First, can you share with us what got you interested in uh, using this to connect with, you know, infertility mm -hmm. and all this um, field? Uh, thank you for that question. I really got into sleep to try to help my patients. And the group that I was working with at the time initially were young, healthy females with headaches. So a lot of them also have other things that happen to young, healthy females. So they have thyroid disease, they have infertility, they have menstrual cramps. So it's a young, healthy population. And I discovered that they had abnormal sleep studies. And their sleep studies were abnormal in a specific way. They couldn't get into rapid eye movement sleep, a specific phase of sleep, or they would have interrupted sleep in that phase. Frequently, they would say, I wake up at 3 a.m. and I can't go back to sleep. Some of them had just had a couple of young kids, and they were blaming it on the fact that they had youngsters and were breastfeeding. But it turns out that that's a distinctive finding for this population after a couple of babies they actually can't go back to sleep after waking at 3 a.m. Because no one else was writing about it and because I didn't have any way to help them based on the sleep study, I ended up using a lot of sleeping pills, which neither one of us wanted to use. And then one of my patients had a B12 deficiency. And then by a set of serendipitous accidents, we got into measuring vitamin D. And it turns out that vitamin D is a hormone that we make on our skin that is directly related to our sleep because it's set up to allow us to hibernate in the winter and be more active in the summer. That had already been written in the scientific literature since the 1980s, but for reasons that are not completely clear to me, completely overlooked by the sleep experts. So that's how I got into vitamin D. And then there were a series of other events that happened afterwards that we discussed last time that show that vitamin D is extremely important to support the intestinal microbiome. So when you become D deficient because you're told not to go out in the sun, then you lose not only your D and the D effect, but also the effect of 
multiple other supportive chemicals that come from the bacteria that live inside our belly. The B vitamins, things called endocannabinoids, which are supportive chemicals to the neurotransmitters that allow us to sleep and also importantly fight inflammation. Oh, wow. I know I live in Silicon uh, Valley area. There's a lot of people diagnosed with vitamin D deficiency. And uh, um, I also noticed from a different line of work here, a lot of um, women and men have difficulties getting pregnant. So I don't know, uh, is there a link there somehow? Thank you for asking that. So that's what we're gonna start off and we're gonna do that portion individually today. So one of the surprising aspects for me was when I stumbled into the fact that a couple of my patients got better sleep and their headaches went away when they took vitamin D, I was quite confused by that and thought, why would a bone vitamin have anything to do with sleep? And I went on uh, PubMed and I found the literature from a guy named Walter Stump, who is a neurologist, also an endocrine chemist. And he started actually in the 1970s writing about estrogen receptors in the brain. He was very interested in how do these hormones, he was interested in all hormones at the time, how do hormones actually affect the things that make us female? How does estrogen make us look like female? How does testosterone make males? Are there receptors in the brain to make us behave differently? So once he started into estrogen and found estrogen receptors in the brain, he then began to study vitamin D. And for most of his career, he studied vitamin D. The first article that was most important to me was about vitamin D receptors, meaning vitamin D goes in and affects these cells in the sleep switches. That means that there are direct areas where the sleep switches that allow us to go into sleep, transition through the phases of sleep, that are listening for a vitamin D signal, okay? The other articles that he had, uh, which he had, wrote 300 articles over 30 years about vitamin D, also covered the fact that there were vitamin D receptors in the ovaries, in the fallopian tubes, areas of the body that affect our fertility. And so since the early 80s, he had created a belief system around why would we have a hormone that was made by a specific wavelength of light on our skin? And then we absorb it. Why would we have that? And he was able to show that the wavelength of light that makes vitamin D goes away in the winter. And then he was able to explain, well, based on where the receptors are, it looks like this is a survival advantage that affects our metabolism, i.e. we gain weight in the fall and winter to be able to last through a period of time when there's no food because there's no sun. Our fertility, which allows us to continue to reproduce. If you have your babies during a time when there is no food, they die. And the third is we hibernate, we sleep longer and we affect the thyroid so that the metabolism throughout the body goes down. So he puts together this amazingly intelligent uh, viewpoint of what vitamin D is really about and writes for 30 years, and he's not the only author writing this, that vitamin D is not a vitamin and it's not about bone. Those are side issues, but the main issues that are affecting us today, and keep in mind, Walter was writing these before the vitamin D deficiency epidemic hit. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So before there was a huge problem with infertility, he's writing this in the 80s, but he's writing articles like vitamin D and infertility, vitamin D and postpartum depression, vitamin D and sperm production, things that are over the 30 years he's writing going to happen in the future in epidemic proportions. And the odd thing is this literature is there. It's been there for now 50 years, some some of us, you know, if it's 40 years, and all we have to do is read it. Now, the second wave of reports is since infertility has become common. So there is a whole body of literature in the OBGYN publications that's about the fact that vitamin D works on the ovaries using an intermediary hormone called anti-malarian factor to suppress ovulation. That means polycystic ovarian disease means the ovary has multiple eggs that are making cysts because they're trying to ovulate, but they're being suppressed by this other hormone. So vitamin D is actually telling a woman's body not to have a baby because her D is so low, it's interpreting that to mean there's no sun, therefore there's no food, therefore the baby will die. These are all things that are active in every single animal on the planet. Insects, reptiles, birds, mammals, all have vitamin D, all affect their reproductive system. Each animal has a slightly different timing depending on their gestation. So we gestate for nine months. That means our body was set up to when the D goes highest, which for us is the fall, September, October, that's when people's sex drive goes up as their D goes up. So their actual libido and their fertility go up in concert, their testosterone and their estrogen go up. They follow the D level. That's when have fertility rights, uh, you know, at harvest time hundreds of years ago, you mate at that time, the baby gestates for nine months, the baby is born in June. Perfectly times for the baby to go out and get vitamin D from the sun. To have a healthy baby, really, we need the baby to be out in the sun. That is not the current practice. And it's for good reason. But the problem is the dermatologists, when they started to get really aggressive about saying being in the sun is bad for you. So in the 80s, they started to say sunburning is bad. Don't let your child sunburn. Over the last 40 years, it's now moved to don't let your child be in the sun at all. Current practice for pediatrics is don't let the sun touch your baby's skin until they're six months old. Now, it's true that sunburning is dangerous. However, it's also true that the vitamin D that's made on our skin is actually made to become another form of vitamin D, which then goes into the nucleus of the skin cell and actually repairs any DNA damage done by the light exposure. That means UVB light, which is the light that makes D, is only one of the wavelengths. UVA wavelength also causes DNA damage. So that means our major process of repairing our skin, keeping from getting old in terms of wrinkling and skin damage, is actually determined by the vitamin D level that's made on your skin. So there's some complexity to this that dermatology has not actually recognized or followed. 
The other problem is when the dermatologist is telling us you'll get skin cancer, I didn't have the chance as the neurologist to stand up next to them and go, wait, my organ is the brain. I would like you to get some sun exposure. I would like you to be outdoors and get these other wavelengths of exposure that will make my organ work better. You'll age less rapidly. You'll have less dementia. So there's a fight between one organ being protected and all the other organs failing. This has led to recommendations in the fertility area that are very difficult and conflicting because at the one side, I'm reading this literature, the OBGYN, OBN, OBGYN literature that says you should go out and be in the sun. Your dermatologist is telling you the opposite. And D is linked to fertility, both women and men. That means we really need to move in a direction that tries to come towards the middle to protect both. Mm, wow. So sounds like it's not only um, different wavelengths in the sunlight, but also um, that related to vitamin D level. But are these two things equal? Can we just uh, add more vitamin D into our body system instead of getting out under the sun? Great question. This is a complex question, but it's important. There was a current movement within science to acknowledge that there are many wavelengths of energy, not just sunlight, but there are other wavelengths that we can't see as light per se, that are actually part affecting our biochemistry or our health, okay? So there's some really interesting studies about infrared light, which is the kind of light that's emitted from a fire, for instance. And it turns out that incandescent bulbs which were the bulbs that we used until the last 10 years, and we now changed to LED and halogen. Incandescent bulbs used to emit infrared light. Those wavelengths of light penetrate much more deeply into our body and have much have their own unique biological action. The way you should think about this is humans are the only animals that have moved indoors almost completely now. We have always lived outside like every other animal. Therefore, we adapted to this planet and our biology came second. So the sun was still rising and setting before animals showed up. So these biological systems are tightly linked to living outdoors. Now, we have a comfortable life where we move indoors, but especially during COVID, we move more indoors. And since the advent of air conditioning, computers, bigger and bigger homes, we spend more and more time indoors, which has affected our biology. This is late arrival within medicine, okay? Now, in the background, there's some detail that's coming out about vitamin D, types of vitamin D, that's being published by a guy named Andrei Slominski, who is oddly enough in the dermatology department in Alabama. He's been writing about vitamin D for the last 15 years, and showed that there, instead of just one enzyme that makes an active, one active vitamin D, which is what the current literature usually suggests, he has shown that there are more than one enzyme affecting the D that is made. So when the D is made on our skin from UVB light, then it's actually converted by several enzymes into multiple different forms of vitamin D 
And those different forms have different effects on aging of the skin, scarring, making sure that the DNA repair happens. So they actually keep our skin younger. And it's really not the same kind of vitamin D exactly that we take by mouth. There's some aspects to taking D3 as a supplement that we are not really duplicating what the full array or rainbow of healthful um, thing, chemicals that are made when we're outdoors. It's not exactly the same. That research suggests that even though we are supplementing with vitamin D, and many of us live in an area where we can't really live outside all day, every day, all year long, even if we're supplementing vitamin D, there's some reasons why we want to spend more and more time outdoors, if that's at all possible, for the health of our skin, as well as we don't really know if those other forms of vitamin D affect fertility at the moment. We just know that D has been low globally around the world and infertility has been on the rise in exactly the same population and that we should spend our time trying to do as much as we can that's evolutionarily logical. So D supplementation as a synthetic chemical is relatively new. So we want to pursue, if we can, living outdoors in the way that we used to as much as we can. And there's no reason why you can't use sunscreen at the same time. So we can be still following the dermatologist's recommendation, which is not to sunburn. And we, that means we can walk in, uh, a line in between. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's about mm -hmm. balance, right? We need some sunshine. Yes. Uh, we need sunshine. We need to be outside, but we don't want too much. We we'll make sure it's within the healthy um, lens of you know, what, what we can do to our body and health. And uh, so it sounds like there are different types of D. And uh, um, also you mentioned fertility topics earlier. So it sounds like not only for individual level, it's important, but also if uh, for anyone who are pregnant, they possibly should consider first this vitamin D gonna help people to get pregnant, but also to maintain the pregnancy, to maintain the baby's health. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Let me talk a little bit about that. The other thing that Walter showed was not only does D affect the ability to fertilize the egg. So one of the important things is D's effect is right on the ovary itself. So if it's too low, if it's below 40, it suppresses the ability of the egg to actually ovulate. The second po point is that in humans, not all mammals uh, have um, the actual fertilization of the egg in the same location. In, in humans, we have fertilization right in the midsection of the fallopian tube. So as the little tube is coming with the egg down, before it gets to the uterus, there's a specific location where the sperm are supposed to swim up and actual fertilization occurs. Vitamin D also has effects on what are called cilia, these little hair-like substances that are hair-like organs that move things in the body are called cilia, and they move the egg down the fallopian tube. They move the sperm, they help the sperm, the sperm can swim, but the fallopian tube also helps the sperm arrive at the mid portion of the fallopian tube. The fallopian tube also has vitamin D receptors. That means it helps for the actual location of fertilization. And then once fertilization occurs, there is a set of 
chemical messages that move the egg down into the uterus where it implants and it is fertile. The development of the um, sperm and the health of the sperm are also affected by vitamin D. So the male side of not having one active enough libido because there's not enough testosterone, D affects the testosterone level. Then it also affects sperm uh, motility and formation. So it has effects in both males and females. The other important thing that he showed was that there are vitamin D receptors all over the placenta. So once the fetus is developing, there's a placental barrier that protects the baby, who is in fact a foreign invader in the mom's body. So that baby, as it's developing, has the genetic messages from both the dad and mom. That means her body could actually recognize that as a foreign invader. The vitamin D plays a large role in the blood-brain barrier, the blood-nerve barrier, and in the placental barrier. So it helps carry the baby full nine months. One of the other things we've seen over the last 20 years is premature delivery has become more and more common. My grandson was born at 27 weeks, which is way too early to live, but he is perfect. And he's perfect because neonatology has developed to an extent that they can actually kind of duplicate what should have happened. But we wouldn't have gotten that good at it if we hadn't had so much premature delivery. So one of the other roles that D does during the pregnancy is to maintain the baby through the full nine months so that he or she has all the time to grow. The second important thing is, as we mentioned, vitamin D is what determines which bacteria live in the belly, in the mom's belly. That means the baby, as the baby is developing from a fetus into a baby, the developmental steps of organogenesis, of development of all the organs of the body are very dramatically related to the B vitamins. That means the B vitamin source is supposed to be what the normal bacterial contents are producing. There are eight B vitamins. They're supposed to be there in a specific ratio to one another. And that's supposed to be coming from the mom's microbiome because the baby isn't making any poop yet. So in the background, if we can get most of the women on the planet to have a vitamin D that's above 40 and to get a normal microbiome back, before they actually conceive, then we have a population that has a normal supply of the B vitamins and a normal supply of D to maintain the pregnancy, to get the formation of the fetus to be normal. There's a huge amount of information coming out now about the fact that autism has grown dramatically, exponentially over the last 20 years. And it's not always just during fetal development. It can also happen at age three. So there's a whole movement among among anti-vaxxers that is about my baby or my three-year-old was vaccinated and then started to have autistic features. This is an extremely complex field, but this is a reversible syndrome in my view. And I say that because there are multiple paths leading to the observation of behavior that's called autism. So it's got many features, but one of the very important pieces of development we've now found just in the last 10 years is what are called the endocannabinoids. They're named that because we first discovered cannabis. Cannabis has certain chemicals in it that when given to humans 
causes certain effects on the human. It turns out the reason why it has those effects is that cannabinoids are chemicals that we make ourselves, having nothing to do with marijuana. We make these cannabinoids. The chemicals that come from the marijuana come and sit on the cannabinoid receptors and they modify messages from neurotransmitters, the chemicals we use to send messages. Those cannabinoids that we make are pivotal to brain development and spinal cord development, early stages of development in utero. Those cannabinoids are dependent on some of the chemicals that are made from mom's microbiome. So the raw materials that become the endocannabinoid in the baby come from chemicals that are made by bacteria in the mom's belly. That means the baby is missing not only D, but the Bs that were supposed to come from mom's belly and these endocannabinoids. And it's those linkages that are making the claim that the increase in autism is related to D in the microbiome in the mom. So that could mean we could not only prevent or lower the incidence of autism starting in early infancy, but then during childhood, the next piece is once you deliver your baby, the D source for the baby comes either from the sun, which we are currently being advised not to do, or mom's breast milk or a supplement. Currently, we're starting to suggest supplement, but if mom's D is in the 60s, which is the level that I we talked about last lecture, which is the level for a mom to have perfect sleep or improved sleep, if her level is in the 60s, then the newborn's D level is usually in the 40s. And that usually produces a newborn who's sleeping much better than the majority of newborns recently. So they fall asleep, they wake up to nurse two or three times a night. This is in the first six months. And then they fall right back to sleep again. In the pregnancies and the early incidents of children that I followed as a coach, most of the time by six months, they're sleeping through the night, which is the baby is sleeping through the night. If you can get both mom and infant to sleep through the night, then the length of time the infant is spent sleeping, which is also the length of time they're developing and growing and making all these neural, net, neural networks, their improved development is guaranteed. Mom's sleep is better. So if we can then say, gee, if we could just get our female population who's breastfeeding to have a D level in the 50s or 60s, that would then guarantee that baby has the full chance to have all of the things it needs from mom's breast milk. Keep in mind, things like <clears throat> probiotics and supplements were not what any mother gave her baby until fairly recently. Baby got every single thing it needed from mom's breast milk. We now know that the vitamin D that's in the breast milk is actually uh, the straight vitamin D that we would get on our skin. So it's not actually the stuff that's 2508 that goes through the liver. It means there's a very specific form of vitamin D that's passed in breast milk. That's the way it always was. That means if we want to have healthy babies, it would be wise for us to be out in the sun during our pregnancy, to be out in, our, in the sun with our baby from the beginning. There were some really interesting historical observations um, that I use when I give my lectures, quoting directly from the articles that are talking about 
um, rickets as a disease. So rickets was originally described as a cranky baby who didn't sleep, wouldn't feed, wouldn't quiet, wouldn't walk, and had slow tooth development and increased dental caries. So what pediatricians are currently calling a colicky baby was actually rickets because they would put the baby out in the sun and show that those problems would correct themselves. Mm -hmm. Interesting historical data that suggests that in India, where you would think they have much more sun exposure and wouldn't have rickets, that the only population were the higher castes in India that were wealthier and actually kept their women and children indoors in comparison to the farmer classes that were considered lower classes who were still digging in the dirt, where it was described that once the mom delivers the baby, she puts the baby in a carrier and carries the baby out onto the farm where she continues to work because that's the only way they can have enough food to survive. And that population, even though their diet is theoretically less supportive because they're not as wealthy and they're not as educated, they had a much lower incidence of rickets than the higher castes within the same community. And that's written in 1925. That had been described for 100 years in India already. To me, that means we could have a much easier time preventing these problems than treating them. If we get, we get behind this movement of going outside more and still doing it in an intelligent way that makes our dermatologists hopefully happy, get the dermatologists to be a little less extreme, we could have a lot fewer, a lot less incidents of not only autism, but ADHD depression, anxiety, et cetera. Many of those are now linked to both cannabinoids and youngsters and teenagers and B vitamin deficiencies that lead to poor sleep and therefore emotional problems in kids. Yeah, it's all related and this field is still so new. I actually talked to Dr. Wu several weeks ago and uh, uh, when she was still pregnant and also after she gave birth the second time and uh, from a sleep psychologist's point of view, she actually recommend moms do not do breastfeeding in the dark because a lot of moms tend to do that in the dark room and uh, that's going to make the sleep worse, right? So she also recommends sunshine and just anything a sleep psychologist or sleep doctors often recommend. Just uh, you need to get morning sunlight, but for moms and young babies, you need to get more daytime sunlight throughout the day. That's really important to both the mom's sleep and the baby's sleep. I think you just mentioned the similar recommendations from different angle, which is also very important. But I'm curious, in the medical practice now, do doctors encourage the moms to check their retinal levels before or during the pregnancy at all? Ishan, this is a very political thing in medicine. I am completely shocked as a physician. I, I did not see medicine as a political career, okay? I mean, once you get into academic medicine, you realize we are primates. We can't ever leave that. That means we are very much about status within our group. All animals, there's a pecking order in chickens. There is an alpha male in lions. So 
we are all about status within our subspecialties. And then we try to find people who we think are lower or higher. Within medicine, there is a huge political argument going on because, and this is my interpretation of why it's happened. It's historically it's happened. The why is a little difficult. I entered this after I've been practicing for 25 years. As far as I'm concerned, if I go onto PubMed and I get these articles about vitamin D that came out in 1982, 1979, that show there are vitamin D receptors in the pituitary that run the thyroid and the sex hormones and vitamin D receptors in the ovaries and in the nervous system. And I can read those articles. Then my question is, why wasn't I instructed about this when I was in medical school in 1979 through 1983? Why hasn't endocrinology incorporated this hormone that was misnamed, why didn't I learn it that way? And it turns out that Walter Stump, who was brilliant in my view and did most of this work very early on, was also very arrogant. And he would go to these meetings and he would say, none of you people, these were what's called a vitamin D workshop. So everybody who's doing any research in vitamin D can come to this annual meeting. And after a while, I actually started going to these meetings, and one of the other current experts said, you know, Walter was really a jerk. He would stand up at this microphone, and he would say, you guys really don't understand this as well as I do. You don't quote my, you don't quote my articles enough. And the irony of that was that I realized that I think Walter's right about his view of this, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the rest of medicine embraces his point of view. Now, for me, at the time, I was really pretty arrogant. I had read his papers, and I thought, this guy is the only one who really sees this through the proper lens to understand that it would affect sleep and really to predict all of the epidemics that have happened in the last 30 years. But with understanding that that prevented his ideas from being widely accepted. So there's a second piece in medicine, like in every field, there's an idea set. It's always a human being's interpretation of the truth. You, you may have been doing this long enough to realize that 10 years ago, you learned X, whatever, as a, as a sleep expert. And then 10 years later, it's not the truth anymore. What that means is humans are always interpreting what they see and they make up stories about it. That's not the way I saw medicine. I saw medicine as a science, you know, and it was either true or it wasn't true. And then I practiced for 25 or 30 years and I realized, you know, the pulmonologists are telling us that sleep apnea causes these things because the oxygen drops and they made that up. None of my patients have drops in oxygen. They made up that story. So you have to look through the political environment with vitamin D through a different lens. We're all struggling to figure out what's the truth. And currently there is a, a very large movement in medicine saying we should never measure vitamin Ds. We should never give vitamin D. There is a whole movement. I have an article on my website that is an answer to an editorial that was published on Medscape last year where a guy is saying, look, we have all these prospective clinical trials showing that giving vitamin D doesn't do anything. 
And then the explanation would be, well, that's because you're giving X dose to each person, but you're never measuring the levels. You never measure the levels. You cannot possibly see an effect of a hormone without showing that you've achieved a healthier level and then you follow what happens. So until you really get your mind around the idea that this is a hormone, that means, oh, if I were to say, Yishan, why don't you, you just told me your heart's racing and your hair's falling out and your skin isn't right. I think those are all related to thyroid. Why don't you run down to CVS, get yourself some thyroid hormone and come back and see me in a year. That's what's being done with vitamin D. Horrible. That, that would, then the reason why I use that is most lay people, they don't have to be doctors. They say, wait, my aunt took thyroid. And don't you have to measure the level? And don't, don't you have to go in and get those blood levels? So this is a very politically charged area. OBGYN has multiple articles showing that preeclampsia, that bad outcomes of multiple mechanisms during pregnancy is related to low D. Epidemiologically, they have shown that low D and these outcomes are linked. Then when they try to give vitamin D to prevent that outcome, that's where the confusion arises. It turns out that there are two people who have been majorly involved in early child development. One is a pediatrician, one is an OBGYN, Carol Wagner and Bruce Hollis. These two have been publishing articles for 30 years about you have to get the D to a specific healthier level. In their prospective trials, they've gotten their levels above 40, and that they've shown then in prospective clinical trials in human women going through their pregnancy and watching what happens in breastfeeding and early child development, that you have better outcomes. So there are very well done clinical trials. Unfortunately, the great majority of the prospective clinical trials over the last 20 years have been done with a fixed dose. You treat it like a public health vitamin question. So I'm going to design a study to say, okay, we saw that heart disease and cancer are both increased in those who have low vitamin Ds. So we're going to give 2,000 IUs of vitamin D for five years, and then we're going to see if the outcome in the treatment group taking 2,000 is different in the, than in the group that doesn't take it. Unfortunately, they never do the D levels. They never even think of the concept of first you have to state this is an unhealthy vitamin D blood level. Then I am going to affix the dose of each individual to achieve a healthier blood level. And this is, you have to state what that healthier blood level is before you start the study. And then you have to show that you've achieved that healthier blood level, which is extremely expensive and extremely complicated because you have sun exposure. Each person in their various environments has different amounts of sun exposure. That means you have to have thousands of nurse practitioners actually doing blood levels monthly for five years in order to do these studies. No one does it. Instead, they copy what everybody else has done, which is a fixed dose, like you were doing a public health study where you're going to say, oh, everybody's got a low vitamin D. We'll just decide to give them 2,000. That means that most of the prospective studies, there's a very important study called the VITAL, V-I-T-A-L study that was done 
approximately seven years ago. Those results showed no outcome for giving 2,000 IUs to half of the population. They basically didn't do any D levels, and they showed that there was no effect on preventing cancer or heart disease. That same data set was used to publish eight other articles, macular degeneration, risk of falls, dementia. It's a terrible data set. It's not that they didn't try hard. They did it like a public health vitamin trial instead of understanding the basic concepts of hormones and hormone study. That has been used by anybody who doesn't really believe in vitamins. They take this idea that vitamins are not important or in some way for weirdos. I mean, we've made it, we've vilified the word vitamin. These are the primary keys of biochemistry. Originally, medicine, microbiology are the ones that discovered these biochemical pathways. Each one uses various vitamins. The idea that medicine now thinks, and I was trained the same way, vitamins are for dietitian or nutritionists, lesser humans than us doctor gods. We shouldn't bother ourselves. And, oh, people who want to be in, you know, researching that area are goofy. Anybody who wants to publish about vitamin D having a positive effect now has to go to a nutrition journal. Now, the one, the one interesting thing is because of the way we do searches now, we put in keywords. And then when we're on a database, and keep in mind that every human being now has access to every medical topic that they could want. You know, when I went to medical school, I had to pay them a lot of money so I could actually go to the library. Mm -hmm. This information is available to every lay person on the planet. When I put in keywords, I don't really care which journal it shows up in. So if it's the Nutrition Journal or the New England Journal of Medicine, I read through the abstract, and then if I'm really good at it, I read through the actual journal to see what they did with it. That means lay people are contacting me and actually doing a better interpretation. And these, these are the articles I just told you about were sent to me by some of my colleagues and some of my clients. They send me these articles and say, hey, I'm looking at this. I think this means they really never measured the D levels. So this is a very important turning point for medicine because the, the patients are coming into the doctor's office saying, I want to get my vitamin D level done. And the doctor is frequently saying all that vitamin D stuff, it's been debunked. They're intelligent. They care about their patients. They're reading the literature. They're being misinformed for some historical reasons that I just told you, because I've struggled with this for 10 years. Why would medicine want to ignore something that is the core of our biology? It makes no sense. As soon as I get into sleep and we see that there are vitamin D receptors that run our sleep, like I still can't go get my head around the fact why someone would fight against that. Mm. Yeah, that's that's very sad to hear that. But hopefully, as layperson, right, and uh, every individual who uh, either watch this or mm -hmm. learn about this and mm -hmm. care about their own health, their own fertility, mm -hmm. they can get the information mm -hmm. and use it to guide their own practice. Mm -hmm. And so, let me summarize mm -hmm. some of the gateways I got. So, sounds like the vitamin D we got from the sunlight. 
uh, versus the vitamin pills we take. They are different. And possibly it's better to get sunlight in a safe way uh, as much as possible, right? Um, but I guess if we cannot do that, at least take some vitamin um, supplements going to still help. And if people, if a woman wants to get pregnant or want to make sure the um, child is safe, in this process, you should consider maybe request a checkup for the vitamin levels, especially vitamin D, if not vitamin B, I guess. So if you request that before and during the pregnancy and uh, take supplements if the level is too low, right, that's possibly going to really help. I would like to add also on my website, because there's some special issues about pregnancy and because of what I'm saying is different than their OBGYN is going to tell them, that is very anxiety producing. So I have videos on my website that are about fertility, how to take these vitamins safely when you're trying to get pregnant, how to take them safely and why during the pregnancy and with the first year of your baby while your baby is breastfeeding. I have separate set of videos that are about doing this right sleep program with children. So adjusted for age and physical size. So these are, these are not, these are very complex issues where, you know, if you've had problems and you're doing fertility, um, if you're going down the infertility route with someone who's giving you Clomid and things like that, you might want to bring these up. But if you're, infertility expert does not believe in or doesn't see this point of view, those articles are still there. And I can support you on my website and how to use them safely during your pregnancy. Yeah, I just put your website down there, drblomet.com, for whoever watching, listening later, because it's going to come out at the podcast. Um, you can check out more information on the website. I definitely heard good things about your work, Dr. Gomnick. Real patients, right? And they speak highly of your work. And uh, th this kind of knowledge really helped some people out there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, still, I think nowadays for uh, every individual, we just need to go out to learn the information and to really select what the information may work for us. We all need to take the responsibilities for our own health. Thank you. I completely agree. I, I just think you're doing such a good job here with these podcasts. Yeah, thank you so much. I know, I mean, uh, the Deep Into Sleep podcast has over 150 episodes, and I'm really thankful to all the sleep doctors, all the different doctors like you to come on as guests to really share your own knowledge, your own expertise, or, you know, the new knowledge you keep on learning, what you observe from patients, because I feel like those information, if we keep on talking about that, can reach more and more people. Some people out there may find this interesting or inspiring. And some people may find, oh, this is related to what I'm struggling with, right? Maybe this is a new direction I never thought of. Let me look into that or even bring this to some doctors to discuss. And I know some people, they keep on doing this for different doctors until they find a doctor who are willing to listen to them and work together and figure it out. So that's hope. 
Yes, I completely agree. That was very well said. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming to the show today, Dr. Gumnick. So uh, I know this today's topic is about pregnancy, fertility, and uh, vitamin, especially vitamin D deficiency. So at the end of today's show, any last wisdom you want to share with all the people who are watching or listening now or later when it's come out at the podcast, anything else you want to share? To teach themselves and that we have to take responsibility. And this happens to be an area of great controversy in medicine. So your doctor may not agree with you. That doesn't mean that you can't actually ask them to cooperate and to read articles. I have some, everything I talked about with the vitamin D and the controversy, there's an article under the about section on my, that you can actually print out and take to your doctor to help educate them. Mm-hmm. Great. I totally agree. I feel like the uh, field of medicine, including sleep medicine, there's still a lot of new things we all need to learn as healthcare providers. We need to keep on educating ourselves in order to help patients better. So it's yeah. a lifelong learning journey. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. I think you're so smart. That is a perfect attitude. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for watching. I know some of you are watching and leave the message. I know English must be hard to understand for some of my Chinese audience. And but still appreciate whoever care about this topic. And uh, uh, this whole show will come out as our podcast episode later on my podcast, Deep Into Sleep. And please go to Dr. Gumnick's website, drgumnick.com to learn more about this information, read more of the papers. And if you want to reach out to her directly for coaching sessions, um, I'm sure you can find the information online too. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions about this topic, leave me a message, let me know. I will put out some clips of this interview's video version out on our new YouTube channel at Mind Body Garden Psychology. You can also subscribe our email newsletter at mindbodygarden.com slash sleep. I'm Dr. Yishan. Thank you for listening. I will see you next time. Bye. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently. And there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.